Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, everyone. Last week, we started our series called Reimagine Resilience, How the Cross Shapes and Strengthens Us. And so last week, we recapped what the idea of resilience is. Uh, We defined the difference between fragility um, and resilience, and we also defined the difference between toughness and resilience. And we realized that Jesus has warned us throughout his time here on earth that resilience is a necessity as a disciple of Jesus Christ, but that through abiding in Jesus, we have the ability to joyfully grow in resilience. We looked at a definition that we will be kind of bouncing back and forward throughout the whole series, and that is that we see resilience as the ability to joyfully adapt, recover, and re-engage quickly without distorting your sense of self, your view of God, or of His people. And so we are working through the building blocks of resilience, and this week we start with how failure can actually help us build resilience. And... um, and so the, the thing that I was wondering as I was preparing this is, I don't think anyone ever sets out to fail. I don't think you wake up in the morning and think, you know what, I'm going to do really poorly at this. And then I thought to myself, I don't think that's actually true. I think sometimes people set out to fail. Because parents, have you ever asked your children to wash the dishes, right? <laughs> and I think what is happening in their minds is, you know, if I do a poor job at this, it is highly unlikely that I will be asked to redo this task. And so sometimes I think maybe failure is an expectation that we set. Karen is convinced that every time she gives me a shopping list and I go to the store, that I have decided that I'm going to fail at this task so that I'm not asked to do that task again, you know. But the reality is, is we can joke, and, and sometimes, you know, failure is... Sometimes it can be funny. You know, my wife uh, and Erin are watching Nailed It. Have any of you seen that on Netflix? So the idea is that you have a cake and you have this idea of what you want to do and then you, and then you set out to do it, right? <laughs> and so this is this blue, beautiful cake and you nailed it. You know, you, you really did a good job, you know? And, and the reality is, you know, sometimes failure doesn't last for too long. Its consequences aren't that severe. Sometimes its consequences are quite severe, Um, don't let the past make your decisions for today. You know, that is ironic on so many different levels, you know. However, the past will be making decisions for her, you know. How about this one? Only judge can guard me. So, yeah, fail, right? Now, we joke and we laugh, and and some of those failures, like me returning from the store without the specific brand that Karen wants, without the product, product, whatever, (laughs) details, you know. The reality is, is, is sometimes our failures can be devastating. It robs us of our resiliency, it creates fear and anxiety in us, which creates this vicious cycle because we're fearful and we're anxious, our resiliency and our strength is reduced, and then everything just seems bigger and more difficult, and even small failures that maybe years ago we were able to take in our stride just become these huge things. 
This morning, I want to look at how failure can build resilience, but how sin hardens us. And that's a, a, a throwback to last week where we talked about what true resilience is, and it's not toughness, and it's not hardness. We're going to look at two instances in David's life, one of failure and one of sin. And we're going to start with an area of failure in David's life. And David was the king of Israel, uh, and there was the ark of God, which represented the presence of God. And the ark of God had been captured in a war by the Philistines, and David and his army had routed the Philistines, and now it was David's role, responsibility, and joy to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And so David decides that he's going to do this. And what he does is he does what is the most practical and efficient thing. He goes and he puts the ark on an ox cart, and he decides to take the ark back to Jerusalem. And so we pick up from 2 Samuel 6, and I'm reading in the New Living Translation. It's, it's just better with narrative passages. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah, and he named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah. It is still called that today. David was now afraid of the Lord. So David is angry, and now he's afraid of the Lord. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then, the, then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God, because the, the intent was that the blessing of God would flow from the ark of God that represented the presence of God. That was always God's intent. And, and God's, God's patterns and God's boundaries are not just arbitrary. God, what God is, is trying to communicate to David is there is a way to do things, not just the right thing to do, but the right way to do things. And so David gets angry and he gets afraid, and like many of us in the context of failure, when, when maybe God has called us to do something, or maybe we're doing what is the right thing to do, and it just does not end up in the way that we expected, I mean, this is a pretty bad outcome. This is a man lost his life, trying to do what he thought was a good thing, but it wasn't in line with God's pattern. We look at how failure helps to build our resiliency because we see how David responds in this narrative. In 1 Chronicles 15, verse 12, David has now realized that the ark is blessing the home of this man, and he's decided actually to fulfill the task that God has given him, but he's realized that he doesn't know all the details. And so he gathers the leaders, and he gathers the Levites, and he says, now how are we supposed to do this in the correct way? And verse 12, he said to them, you are the leaders of the Levite families. And, and what he realized, what he didn't know beforehand, is that only the Levites, only the priests were allowed to carry and touch the ark of God. God had set that forth in the Old Testament law. You must purify yourselves and all your fellow Levites so that you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I've prepared for it. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time, the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to move it properly. 
We knew what to do. We knew it was the right thing to move the ark from the Philistine stronghold back into Jerusalem, but we failed to ask God how to move it properly. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jerusalem. And then the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. And what we, what we know is that as they entered Jerusalem, there was much celebration, there was much partying, there was much feasting, and there was much joy, because what God had said had been done in the right way, and God brought about blessing. So failure can build our resiliency because you learn about yourself in your failures. Uh, when you fail, you, you begin to experience these emotions. And, and it's interesting because David knows, he said he was angry and he was afraid. And we're often angry because we're saying, why did this happen? Or why did this not happen? Or why did this not happen in this way? And, and there is this, this sense of anger in our failure. There's also this sense of fear. David was afraid. He's like, fine, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I'm worried that this will happen again. Failure can also reveal our idols. When, when we fail in a certain area or where we're disappointed or where, where we don't get what we think we deserve, sometimes it's an, it's an idol revealer in the sense of, is this, is this what you want more than you want me, Nick? What differentiates a Christ follower from these highly motivated, talented, and gritty people um, is not the ability to just stand up and say, fine, I'm going to do this again. It's actually who we turn to and the kinds of questions that we ask. And so do I turn back into myself and say, okay, I've just got to muscle up, I've just got to work harder, I've just got to do this, or do we turn to God and say, God, what happened here? What is it about me that I, I need to learn in this? What are, what are some of the, the blind spots that I have? What, what are you... What are you asking me to do, and, and how are you asking me to do that? And how are you, God, defining growth for me, rather than the way the world defines growth for us, or the way that I would define growth for myself? For me, my, my challenge is that my, I always turn in on myself when there's a failure. My immediate response is, you can do this better, you didn't work hard enough, something you didn't see, come on, muscle up. It has to be a pretty bad one for me to say, oh God. Right? You guys know that is the deepest, most profound prayer you can pray, oh God, oh God. And so God has taught me through my life. He's like, Nick, if you don't want to have train wrecks and you rather want to deal with car wrecks, then why don't you come to me earlier and actually say, God, what, what are you trying to reveal about me? What do I need to learn about myself? What are you showing me? Am I... Am I needing to access a sense of deeper humility? Am I needing to be bolder? Am I needing to take more risks? Do I need to exercise caution here? Or do I need to exercise faith in this situation? What are you trying to show me? So failure helps us build resiliency because we learn about ourselves. Failure also can help us build resiliency because we learn from our mistakes. Um, we spoke last week about that song when I... I get knocked down and I get up again, and yes, I know, I know why people get knocked down, it's because they drank the whole night, thank you, Saxon, for reminding me about that, okay, now I know what that song is about in context, thank you, I get knocked down, but I get up again, and never going to keep me down, whatever, 
how about we don't get knocked down again? And so the idea was like, what, what do I need to learn from this experience to not experience this failure again? So the idea is not becoming hard so that I can experience multiple failures and be okay with it, but the idea is what do I learn from this experience so that I don't get knocked down in this same way? We will get knocked down in other ways, but in this same way, God, what can I learn from this? David went back to try again. David went back and said, okay, I didn't see something here. He did not say, that's it, I'm done. It didn't work. You killed someone, so I'm not doing this again. He went back and he gathered the people and he said, okay, guys, we know we need to do this. What are we not seeing? We've learned from our mistakes. He fulfilled the same goal in a different way with massively different results. Because sometimes we think the way to avoid failure is change the goal. Okay, we aimed at that thing, it did not work, let's change the goal and we're gonna aim at that thing. No, sometimes failure is an invitation to a different path for the same goal, just like we see in David's life. God, what are you showing me about myself? God, what are you showing me about the things that you have called me to? My marriage is really difficult. I'm using this as an example. My marriage is really difficult. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it anymore. No. God's trying to show you something about you. God's trying to show you something about how to do this better. This parenting thing is so hard. I'm just going to do this. I'm going to lean into my Calvinist sovereignty thing and actually say, you know what, God? They're going to be who they're going to be. And so that's it. They're yours right? I mean, am I the only person that has thought that? No. Okay. What about your calling? What about your job? What about some things that God has said, Nick, I want you to pursue this. And the minute we experience failure, we automatically assume, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We also need to recognize that even though we are not in control, what we do matters. And so we are not in control of the universe. We are not in control of many things in our lives. But our responses do matter. They matter in the way they shape us. They matter in the testimony we give to the outside world. And they matter to people watching. Now, it may be true that you should not be attempting what you're attempting. It may be true that this failure is one of the ways in which God is trying to get your attention, that He's not asked you to do this. So this is not something that you need to do. This is why point number three is important. We need to learn to ask for help. So in failure, what is God teaching me about myself? What can I learn from this mistake? And am I able to ask for help? So what David did is he gathered the people that should have known better, and he gathered them and he said, okay guys, Let's figure this out. Whose job is it to carry the ark? And the Levites probably would have said, yeah, that was us. You, you know what Scripture doesn't say? David doesn't say, why did you not stop me? Why did you not tell me? Well, he was the king, and they just decided to follow that. You, you know what's interesting is David didn't blame them. He said, okay, we're going to do this in the right way. I need you guys to help me because... The law says only Levites can do this. The thing is that others can see our blind spots a lot clearer than we can. That's why they're called 
blind spots, right? It's not rocket science. And so we need both coaches and cheerleaders. A coach is someone in your life that's like, you finish the race, and most of us just want to hear, well done. And what does the coach say? You know, you could probably shave off about a second of that time. And you're like, oh. We have the cheerleader, you know? Doesn't matter how we race, doesn't matter where we finish, we might be lost, they might be packing up the whole thing, and everyone is going home, and you come in, and people are like, you are awesome, well done, you could do this, I know you can do this. And when we ask others for help, one of the things that we've got to make sure is that we have both coaches and cheerleaders in our lives. And we have people that say, Nick, I think you could do this better. I think the reason why this happened is because you were not humble enough to actually say, oh, I can do this. God wants me to bring the ark back. I know what to do. It's simple. Just put it on an ox cart. Let's go. I think maybe you're a little too arrogant. I do think this is what God has called you to do. I do think that. But I think you've got to change and you've got to ask for help. And so that's how failure can help us build resilience. But sin, on the other hand, builds hardness. Later on in David's life, uh, there's a situation where that really gets out of control. And in 2 Samuel verse 11, it says, In the springtime of the year when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Many of you will know the story, and I'm going to do a quick recap for you. Uh, but David um, didn't go to war when he should have gone to war, gets bored, wanders around on the roof of his house, gazes at a beautiful woman taking a bath, lusts after her, calls her to himself, that is Bathsheba, sleeps with her, she becomes pregnant, he realizes now he has a massive problem, and so he decides to invite Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, um, to come for some R&R so that Uriah can sleep with Bathsheba and this pregnancy can be covered. However, Scripture says that Uriah was a nobleman and did not enter his home because he said, how can I be with my wife when the rest of my army is fighting? Who's meant to be fighting? The king. Uriah the Hittite, not even an Israelite, is more noble than the king of Israel. That doesn't work. David says, I don't know, shoot, what am I going to do here? I know what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell Joab, the commander of my army, to put Uriah at the front line and to withdraw from him as the fighting gets worse so that Uriah would die. Wow. How do you recover from that? The way that sin builds hardness in our lives is that sin always snowballs. It has to because when we don't ask for help from God and from others, we try and fix it ourselves. And I mean, look at this. It started with laziness or fatigue and ended up in murder. Murder. And there were multiple opportunities for him to stop. Multiple opportunities for him to actually say, man, I need help. It could have been when he gazed at Bathsheba. It could have been when he invited her over. It could have been after he had slept with her. It could have been after Uriah had left. There were multiple opportunities for him to say, man, 
this is getting out of hand. But what happens is we compound our mistakes instead of learning from our mistakes. We just make worse ones. Now, our hardness leads to self-deception instead of the ability to learn about ourselves. And so because we lean on ourselves, failure is, is one of the things that God uses to reveal your true self to you. But sin will lead us into self-deception. Why? Because a human being will go to the gravest lengths to avoid shame and guilt. The tragedy about that is that Jesus is standing saying, I am taking care of your shame and guilt. Come to me. But if you don't use that route, the human being is programmed to deal with it in the most ghastly ways. So after he receives word that Uriah is dead, listen to this hardness. Now, guys, I want to say this about hardness. You can be politely hard. Hardness is not always this kind of arrogant, in-your-face, kind of bitter person. You can be politely hard. I was saying to Karen the other day, that is the most politely stubborn man I've ever met, you know? <laughs> you, you can be that. So politeness does not mean that there isn't hardness. So our hardness leads to self-deception. David receives word that Uriah is dead. The messenger comes and says to David, Uriah, your servant is dead, and we're taking massive losses. Why are we taking massive losses? Because David said, I want you to send a line of, um, of uh, soldiers. Thank you, babe. I want you to send a line of soldiers, and then I want you to withdraw from them. So it's not just Uriah that's dead. It's a bunch of other people that's dead. And at that moment, David comes to his senses, right? And he says, I can't believe what I've done. Listen to what he says. Well, tell Joab, this is 2 Samuel 11, 25. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. Wow. Talk about self-deception. Man, you look at this and you shake your head. But when I read this, there was a sense of fear that came on me. I'm like, wow, God. I wonder if I've been in that situation where someone, by the grace of God, is giving me an opportunity to say, man, you can repent of this. And I'm like, well, you know what? Life happens. Let's just fight stronger tomorrow. How about when Nathan the prophet comes to David? Another grace gift of God. And Nathan the prophet comes to David and he tells him this little parable. And he says there was this rich man who had a lot of sheep. And this poor man who had just one little lamb, and he loved this little lamb, and he cared for this little lamb. And this person came to visit the rich man, and the rich man didn't want to use one of the sheep that he had to present him as food. So he went to the poor man, and he took the lamb, and he slaughtered that lamb, and he presented that lamb to his guest. What do you think David says? David was furious. Furious, Scripture tells us, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Nathan said to David, you are that man. You know the thing about searing our conscience and becoming hard? Is that it's not that we can't recognize sin. We can't recognize sin in ourselves. So David is not, at this 
place, trying to cover his tracks. He is so self-deceived, he doesn't even see that Nathan is talking about himself. But he knows the difference. The Spirit of God is in him. He knows the difference between the way to respond to God and not respond to God. And in this moment, he is cha- as he's challenged by Nathan, he suddenly has this grace gift of awareness where the brave Nathan says, you are that man. There's a whole other story about how God would have spoken to Nathan saying, I want you to go tell David the story. Wow. Okay. We are initially unwilling to examine ourselves. As sin starts to snowball, we, we, we don't want to do that because what happens is shame and guilt come to the fore and then we want to deal with it ourselves. We don't go to Jesus. So we are initially unwilling to examine ourselves, but then we get to a point where we cannot examine ourselves, where we are so blind and deceived that we are furious at someone else's sin. We are mad that this would happen. But we actually can't look internally and see, Nick, the grace of God is there for you. Repent and turn from your sin. Our souls, friends, are not built to carry sin. Our bodies aren't even built to carry sin. It begins to gnaw at us. And God wants to rescue us from that. The third reason that sin builds hardness and not true resiliency or not resiliency at all, actually robs it, is that you isolate yourself from God and others instead of actually going to others and asking for help. Now, this is where David actually is a good example. Because in this case, as as Nathan points his finger to David and says, you are that man, the next verse says, then David confessed to Nathan and said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you will not die for this sin. However, because you showed utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Friends, this is something I struggle with, because one thing I know beyond a shadow of a fact is that every sin and consequence of my sin is eternally dealt with. However, I've also experienced the reality that some of the temporal consequences that I have caused because of my sin are things that I need to go to God and ask Him to help bear because that is the fruit of the decisions that I made. When David repented, Bathsheba did not suddenly become unpregnant. When David repented, that child was born and David fasted and prayed and ultimately that child died. And that was one of the consequences of him not asking God, what do I need to learn from this? Not repenting from his sin, not being open to others that are actually trying to lean him in that direction. I didn't even mention that Joab was hinting that this direction was probably not healthy. But David was not able to listen. However, in both failure and in sin, We learn a lot about God. It's God's desire that we live in a spacious place, free from shame and guilt. It's God's desire for us to flourish, to live in joy. We spoke about that last week, that your joy may be complete. That if you abide in the vine, you will bear much fruit and your joy will be complete. 
God sets up these patterns for us to flourish financially, sexually, relationally, emotionally. And, and failure is our inability to stay in that boundary while desiring to stay in that boundary. So that that's the difference between failure and sin. This is the boundary that God has set for me. And I know that and I recognize that as good and I know that it's for my flourishing and oh my goodness, I've overstepped the boundary. God, I need your help. We spoke about this in Galatians. There's a difference between being overtaken by sin and pursuing sin. And so failure is the sense of like, okay, God, here's the boundary. I understand and I recognize that I want to stay in that boundary. Sin is saying, I don't like that boundary. And I'm going to do it my way. And the further away we get from the boundary, the more self-deceived we become, the less we're able to recognize ourselves and the help that other people want to give us. Sin is when we intentionally step outside the boundary of God. Does it sound familiar? Maybe like the first, very first story we ever heard in the Bible. Man, look at this amazing garden. You can have all of it, except for this one tree. As human beings, that's what we do, right? We're like, no, we know better. God's hiding something. We can't trust Him. Band, you can come up. God is kind and compassionate, but He's holy and set apart. When Moses is having real problems with the Israelites, he says to God, show me your face. God says, that will kill you. What I will do is I will pass in front of you and I will self-declare who I am. And he says in Exodus 34 verse 6, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out. This is not Moses calling out. This is God calling out Yahweh, the Lord, God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Just some context. Hundreds, almost thousands of people had perished because they had not fulfilled the law of God previous to this statement. God is saying, still, I'm the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Jesus is present in our failures, but He rescues us from our sin. And so when we fail, we know that He's there. When we intentionally sin, we can say, Jesus, I don't just need you to be with me. I need you to deal with this. I need you to help me to repent in a godly way, not a worldly way. And I need your spirit of grace to be able to flood me so that I'm healed of the pain I've caused myself, but that I'm actually able to stand straight up and say, you know what? I'm still a son of God. I'm still a daughter of God. And whether it's failure or sin, God is gracious and compassionate, kind and merciful. And the most important thing is that He will not leave the guilty unpunished. My punishment was taken by Jesus. Willingly saying, I will take that punishment because God will not be holy and just without the need to exercise just punishment over sin. And that's why Jesus can rescue us from our sin and not just be present 
in our failures. The reason we can stand straight up because we have been forgiven from our rebellion, from our iniquity, and from our sin. Even if I intentionally stepped over that boundary now, I reach out to Jesus and say, I recognize that boundary is for my own good. I know that you're a good and kind God. I know that's why that boundary is there. I want to come home. What does he do? Come, my son. Your debt has been paid. The blood has been shed. His body broken. Come. I'll put my robe on you. I'll slaughter a lamb. You can come and dine with me. Maybe this morning you're experiencing failure. Maybe some of the questions the Spirit is asking you is, what is this failure revealing about you? What are some of the ways that you can continue to approach and engage what God has called you to do, but maybe in a different way? Who can I ask for help? Who are some of the coaches and cheerleaders that can help me recognize this is failure or sin? Or maybe in terms of sin, am I compounding my sin by trying to deal with it myself, by trying to hide it? Am I so self-deceived that I can rise up with furious anger when I see injustice in any other forum, and yet when I have acted with injustice against God, I fail to see that? I won't know. I mean, the the idea of being self-deceived is you won't know that you're self-deceived unless you do ask others for help. Hey, am I, do I have have a speck in my eye? Am I not seeing something? This keeps happening to me. I keep finding myself in the same place. This is where coaches are better than cheerleaders. This is when you're asking this question, don't go to a cheerleader. Go to a coach. Say, I want you to tell me the truth. Am I self-deceived? Am I snowballing? I want to be free from this. Let's not pursue technicalities or blame shift. Let's come to the grace of God and let's fall on his consistently kind, compassionate, and merciful character. And let's say, Jesus, I know that you're present in my failures, but I know that you've rescued me from my sin, and I want to live in complete freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so deeply grateful. So deeply grateful that you paid the cost. So deeply grateful that you bore our transgressions. We are a people that fail often, even though we try not to. We are a people that sin, even though we try not to. We are even those that pursue sin. But we are your children. And you want us to operate in the freedom and grace that you wanted Adam and Eve to operate in. And so I pray, God, this morning, I pray for those that are burdened with a sense of failure, just wanting to give up and saying, fine, I won't do it. I want to pray for those that are caught in a snowball of sin and self-deception. God, I want to pray in the name of Jesus. Spirit of God, bring revelation, bring healing, bring freedom in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that regardless of failure or of sin, um, you sent your son in exchange for both of those things so that we could be 
brought back into family with you. We thank you for the grace and the mercy that his sacrifice um, and his blood spilled, um, that those things paid for us and that we could stand clean and perfect in your sight because of Christ covering us. Um, let's take the bread in remembrance of God's broken body for us. blood spilled for us. Um, not going to lie, when I heard that we were talking about failure, I was kind of excited because that's a big area that God's been working in my life for several years now. And there's two pictures that God has given me in my life that I think would be helpful in responding and receiving prayer for other people. So the first picture that God has given me um, several years ago was uh, he was on the telephone trying to call me, and I was afraid to answer the phone call, um, and I was fearful of what he was going to ask me to do, and um, eventually I convinced myself to answer the phone, and God just said, I am calling you, and basically under, I understood that to be like, I'm the God of the universe, I'm calling you to do this, and I'm not going to not give you the tools you need or... Um, I'm going to equip you to do the thing that I'm calling to, calling you to do. So just really speaking to God calling us to things and not feeling that fear of failure. So if that is something that relates to you, I'd love for you to receive prayer over here with some of our leaders. And then the other area, um, or the other picture that God gave me a while back as well was um, around sin and hardness and not wanting to invite other people into that to help me live in the freedom that I knew that was true. And um, someone gave me a picture of me being stuck in a jail cell and the gate was open and the chains that were around me were all unlocked and I could see, um, I could see the fence and I could see over, I could see freedom, but I was afraid that the guards would see me running to that freedom. And I think in that season I knew I was free of that sin, but I was afraid of inviting community into that. I was afraid of inviting God into that. Um, yeah, I was afraid of those things. So if that feels like you relate to that as well, I'd love for you to receive prayer because God gives us grace in both of those situations. God wants to set us free from both of those things. Lord, we thank you that you are a good father. You are a great coach. You are in our corner as cheerleaders. You've done all things uh, for us and you've given us um, everything we need to live in, in grace and in godliness and to continue to grow, to be conformed to the image of your son. And we ask for you to do that in us. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters uh, and for myself, God. We receive your grace. We thank you that your spirit is with us and we love you back as best we can. And the church said, amen, amen. Mercy Commons, good to be with you this morning. If you need to receive prayer, there's people to my left, to your right. Uh, especially those two particular areas, whether you're dealing with failure or stuck in sin, you don't have to stay there. The rest of us, we're going to be out back. We'd love to meet you, get some coffee, some cookies. We love you. Go out and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, 
Please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.